In February 2020, the UCD Centre for Ethics and Public Life hosted a series of public lectures at Mali, each looking at ethical questions that impact personal, public and professional spheres. The lectures featured prominent researchers in ethics from University College Dublin and were held in Mali's old physics theatre. Empathy is the capacity to see how things are for someone else from their perspective. It is treated in management self-help books as a useful skill that enables you to get your way with people and make better deals. It is treated in psychology as a feature of emotional intelligence. Doctors are encouraged to develop their empathy, which in this context is the same as bedside manner, in order to be more effective. Relationship counsellors work with couples to help them empathise with one another so that they can stay together. And moral philosophers have often argued that empathy is the basis of the capacity to be a moral agent. It is what enables us to be altruistic in the first place. Recently, though, there has been a backlash against empathy, with an influential book by Paul Bloom arguing that empathy hinders good moral action rather than helping it. This is because empathy leads to partiality. People guided by empathy might be inclined to help only those people they can be empathetic towards, thus excluding from their moral concern those who are too different or too far away to be engaged with emotionally. In this talk, delivered on the 25th of February 2020, Professor Roland Stout explores whether empathy really is an essential aspect of moral agency. Professor Roland Stout is a member of the Royal Irish Academy, director of the UCD Centre for Ethics and Public Life, and a professor in the UCD School of Philosophy. He has written books about the philosophy of mind and numerous papers on ethics, metaphysics and the philosophy of mind. His current project is a book on the philosophy of emotions. Yes, thank you. I'm absolutely delighted to um, be here, not least... um, really just to witness the success of this series of public lectures. Um, The the Centre for Ethics and Public Life is trying to reach out to a public engagement um, with its work, and this is just the kind of ideal way of of doing that. And uh, I'm just so happy that these have been so successful. As Brian says, I've started my own work in philosophy, on the philosophy of action, but I'm really these days thinking about emotion. This is my kind of theme especially the um, ethical implications of um, the philosophy of emotion. And empathy is absolutely central in that question. But there is a problem about empathy, and that is that nobody really knows what it is. It's a, in some ways, it's a kind of messed up concept. And everybody, not everybody, but academics and the public have re- really quite different ideas as to what it even means to talk about empathy to such an extent that quite a few of my colleagues say it's just an empty concept, it's just a buzzword, it doesn't really do any good. It's something that sounds good, but is there any real substance to the idea of empathy? And I want to argue that I can see why people say that, that there's there's a bit of a mess in the concept, and that's in a way why a philosopher has to come in and you know, try and try and disentangle it and sort out a few distinctions and say, well, you know, here it's not this, it might be that. But at the same time, uh, I do think there's a really important idea here, and I do think it has uh, a lot of significance for ethics. 
And so that's what I'm going to try and argue for now. I've got a list of things people say about empathy, all, not all of which can be true. Um, and in a way, I'll structure the talk by, by running through these things. So some people say there's no such thing as empathy. And, and it's quite a common, common view, especially among academic philosophers. They think it's just a messed up idea. Um, or maybe that there are too many things which go under the name of empathy. Maybe it just means 100 different things. And we don't really have any idea what we're talking about when we use the word. Um, related to that is the thought, well, OK, there is something, but it's just a buzzword for an idea we had, for a concept we had before, namely sympathy. We all know what sympathy is, and empathy is just a trendy word for it. Now, I'm going to argue against both of these, but I do see the, I do see the reason why people think that empathy, if it exists, is only sympathy. But I'll try and distinguish something which, which sounds a bit more optimistic than that. Then I, there's a couple of popular psychologists I want to look at. One is Brene Brown, an American social psychologist who does a lot of YouTube videos and self-help books. She's, she makes uh, a very strong case for empathy over sympathy. She even says empathy is morally good, sympathy isn't. Sympathy is basically bad. So it'd be interesting to see what she says and why, and contrast it with what another popular psychologist called Paul Bloom says, um, empathy is bad and sympathy is good. So um, my sense is they can't both be right. That could just be because I'm a philosopher who doesn't like a direct contradiction. But on the face of it, somebody's, somebody's making a mistake. Or they're talking about different things. Um, once we've sorted out a little bit what we mean by empathy, we might start to think about why it's good, what it's good for. And um, there's a strong case that empathy makes people feel better. It's a good thing to have because it's going to cheer up the person who you're empathizing with. Or maybe not just cheer them up, but in some, some sense make them feel better. So I say instrumentally good. And all I, all I mean by that word is that it leads to something which is good. Even if it's not good in itself, uh, it does lead to something which is good, namely people feeling better. And not only feeling better, but perhaps getting better. So doctors these days and therapists are encouraged to learn to be more empathic or empathetic. I actually, I have no idea which is the right word. I'm going to say empathetic, even though that sounds a bit odd. But um, yeah, doctors are taught it, and, and there's evidence. I'm not sure how good the evidence is, but there is evidence out there that um, an empathic or an empathetic doctor um, gets better results and the patients recover slightly more quickly if they've been treated by someone with empathy. Well, then it would be a good thing, um, instrumentally good thing, if um, people had more empathy, or certainly doctors and therapists. There's a, another, I think he may be a so social psychologist, sort of come philosopher called Daniel Batson, who claims that empathy is the basis of altruism, that human beings are fundamentally selfish, or would be, if it weren't for empathy. And empathy is a bit, let's hope that's not going to be a real problem. Good. Empathy is the, um, the reason why we end up having this, in some ways, unnatural capacity, the capacity to do good in the world. Um, and the final, the final category is that empathy is a precondition of moral thinking and moral growth. I wonder if that is the final one, yes. So that's, if I can get through all that, I'll be very pleased. Um, and if not, I'll, I'll skip a couple of those. But that's, that's what I aim to talk about. 
Now, the first thing to say, as I said, is that empathy is clearly um, a made-up thing. We didn't have the word in the English language before 1909. Um, the word just suddenly appeared as a translation of um, the German word Einfühlung, which means feeling into or feeling in. And uh, this psychologist, Edward Titchener, translated that word with the word empathy. It took many decades before it, it became a word that was used in popular discourse. And now people use it all the time, of course. Do they mean the same thing that Edward Titchener meant when he translated the word Einfühlung? Well, probably not. But it does raise the question, what happened before 1909? Did empathy not exist? Did the word come with a new concept? Or did we have empathy? Did the 19th century people have empathy? They just didn't have a word for it. And it certainly makes people worry a little bit. If it's a new word, could it be a new thing? That doesn't seem very likely. So it must be an old thing. Maybe, after all, it is sympathy. I'm not going to talk about the, the background of Einfühlung. It's very philosophically quite interesting. You've got um, people who thought that you could look at a work of art and get into it through empathy. You would need some, some psychological capacity, which they called Einfühlung, to feel into that work of art, to somehow see it as a beautiful thing. And you had other philosophers who thought that you couldn't see other people as people at all unless you somehow could feel into them. Um, and both these ideas are interesting but they're, they're less relevant for the ethics of empathy, so I'm just going to skip over them. Okay, so here's the, here's the question. Um, is empathy the same thing as sympathy? Before empathy was invented, clearly we did have sympathy. And I want to look at um, a couple of different philosophers of the 18th century, namely David Hume and Adam Smith, both of whom spent a lot of time developing their different notions of sympathy. What's interesting, though, is that there wasn't a single way of understanding the notion of sympathy. There were at least two and possibly many different ways. So sympathy itself isn't in any way a sort of clear and concise idea in a way that empathy isn't. Sympathy is just as messed up as empathy ever is now. Okay, so we've got David Hume writing in his mid-twenties um, the treatise of human nature. Um, and he thinks of sympathy as a psychological mechanism that makes one person feel the emotion of another through a process of association. So the kind of image to have here is a, a string, like let, let's say a violin string vibrating, and then another one just close by, it starts to vibrate in sympathy. It resonates in sympathy. So the idea is that human beings have a similar kind of capacity. If somebody is, is emotional, they're sort of vibrating with a particular emotion and they're expressing that emotion, then somebody else seeing that will internalize the, the emotion that they're, they're having and they'll, they'll feel the same thing. So for Hume, sympathy was a kind of emotional resonance. Uh, we're just built that way. We have this psychological capacity to respond to other people's emotions by having the same emotion ourselves. This is a very different idea to the idea that Adam Smith, a couple of decades later, came up with using the very same word, for him, sympathy was an imaginative exercise. What you did um, to sympathize with someone was you put yourself in that person's shoes. You made an imaginative projection into that person's situation. 
and thought about how the world was from their point of view. And when you do that, you have what Adam Smith calls fellow feeling. So it's a different notion from Hume's because with Hume, you're just responding with a psychological mechanism. You don't really have to do anything. You just start vibrating emotionally when someone else is. But for Smith, um, what's going on is you do something. You, you make an imaginative projection into that person's situation. And then you have a feeling. And it won't be necessarily the very same feeling that person has. So fellow feeling isn't going to be the identical feeling to the one that you're sympathizing with. It's going to be, if you like, your feeling which you have when you project it into that person's situation. And we can, we can see the difference between the, few, the two views of sympathy with a couple of examples, or at least with this example. So imagine that your friend has just not been promoted and they're very angry with their boss. Now, if you're, uh, if you're following a kind of David Hume conception of sympathy and you're with that friend, you'll start resonating with their anger and you'll end up being angry with their boss too. So they're expressing their anger with their boss. Oh, bloody system, you know, they failed to recognize my you know, hard work over all these decades. And you'll be saying, yeah, it's terrible. And the two of you will be angry together. So that's Hume's conception of sympathy. But with Smith, it's a slightly different conception. So what he says is you'll um, think what it's like for your friend. You'll get into your friend's perspective and say, yeah, um, I can see, you know, from your point of view, that's really irritating and aggravating. But you might, you might think the boss is completely right not to have promoted your friend. With the Hume sympathy, you couldn't really have that and simultaneously think, yeah, and you didn't deserve it either. That would be a kind of inc inconsistent emotional state. But with Smith, you can. You might think, fair enough, you didn't actually really deserve it, but I can really sympathize, I can really sympathize in this sense with what you're feeling. I'm not angry with your boss, but I can kind of get inside your shoes and, and understand what it must be like for you to have not been promoted when you really think you should have been. So it's, it's a different conception of sympathy. With Smiths, you don't have to have the same emotion. You have fellow feeling. You could actually feel the exact opposite. You could think that the boss was entirely correct. But you still feel with, the, um, with your friend. It's still an emotional response. So these two different kinds of sympathy, I'm going to argue, um, can be brought to bear now in the distinction I'm trying to bring between sympathy and empathy. And it's just a linguistic proposal, a semantic proposal I, I want to make. And I think it does fit um, with the way we usually use these words. Though I think we do use these words in quite, you know, in, in different ways. I don't think there's any fundamental consistency. So I'm going to suggest Hume's sympathy. I'm going to call that sympathy. And Adam Smith's sympathy, I think, is what we mean when we talk about empathy. When you sympathize with someone, you share their emotional perspective. You agree with it. You're there with them in the sense that you and they are having the same emotion. When you empathize with someone, you adopt their emotional perspective. And that's different. Adopting a perspective is just taking it on for the time being. You adopt it for the sake of the encounter, but it's not your perspective. You don't really feel angry with the boss, but you're adopting their, their perspective of anger with the boss to be there with them. 
I think this is roughly how we tend to use the words empathy and sympathy, but at any rate, it, it's at least one way of simplifying the debate to get these, this distinction in place. So if I, I might think, do I want a sympathetic audience today or do I want an empathetic audience? And I'm inclined to think I want a sympathetic audience. I don't particularly want empathy from you. Because um, if you're empathetic, you're going to think, oh, yeah, I can see how terrible this is from your point of view. You know, How embarrassing, gosh, you must be feeling terrible. But a sympathetic point of view would be, yeah, I agree. I'm with you. Whatever you're doing here, I share your perspective. And if you have sympathy for someone, you're inclined to move towards them. Your emotions move towards where their emotions are. And that's, that's a nice thing for me if you, if you have essentially come towards me. If you're empathetic, if I was going through quite a lot of distress, I might appreciate a bit of empathy right now because you know, I'd, I'd know I wasn't alone. But in terms of what I'm trying to present to you, I'd prefer your agreement than your empathy. So I think there is a difference, and I'm going, to, I'm going to stick with this way of setting up the difference between sympathy and empathy. We'll come back to it anyway. Okay, I've used the word perspective, and it's another of these philosophical terms that's quite tricky. So I've said empathy is when you adopt a perspective, and sympathy is when you share a perspective, an emotional perspective. Well, what is a perspective? I think it's just a way of thinking about things, a way of seeing things, or a way of feeling things. It's a kind of framework within which your emotional or your perceptual or your rational life takes place. It's, it's where your ideas and emotions come from. Um, so from my perspective, it might be quite right that you weren't promoted. I don't feel outraged. But perhaps I can see how aggravating it is from your perspective. And that's what I'm taking empathy to be. Now here, I've got a very bad picture. I got it off the internet, and I'm sort of slightly ashamed of how... Um, it's a picture of a table with a, two chairs. Uh, you have to imagine you're sitting in one and I'm sitting in the other. It's even worse than I thought. <laughs> this is salt and that's pepper. Um, I ask you, I'm sitting there and I ask you, where's the salt? What do you say? Well, there's two things you could say. You could say, it's behind the pepper. Or you could say, it's in front of the pepper. I'm inclined to think you're going to say, being nice people, it's behind the pepper. But if you say that, what you're doing is you're adopting my perspective. And it's a skill we all have from very, very early on. I mean, this little one here, I think, is just going to get it very, very soon, actually. You start to see the world from the other person's point of view. And you, without even trying, you start speaking and judging and thinking from that person's point of view. So sitting in that chair, you say, the salt's behind the pepper. Now, of course, from your point of view, it's in front of the pepper. But you don't even think about that. You just automatically go, it's behind the pepper. And that's a, kind of, that's a very basic kind of non-emotional empathy. Um, <laughs> which I think we have. And then we apply that to our emotions and we get actual empathy. So this is the example. Um, your, from your perspective, it's in front of the pepper. Or we could, there's thousands of examples. We do this all the time. We adopt people's perspectives when we talk to them. And some people think we, we're always adopting other people's perspectives just to make communication possible. So a meat-eating friend of mine um, let's say I'm a vegetarian, comes to Dublin and says, where should they go to buy some sirloin steak? 
Um, I live in Rathmine, so I say um, go to Lawless uh, Butchers, that's the best place. Now, I'm, from my perspective, they shouldn't be buying steak at all. But nevertheless, I'm happy to give them that advice. If you like, from their perspective, the best thing to do is to go there. From my perspective, you shouldn't be going there at all. So in giving advice to people, in talking to people, in it's not just spatial perspectives, but it's also rational and emotional and evaluative perspectives, we're constantly taking other people's points of view. And when we do it emotionally, we say things like this. This is going to sound a little bit pat, like I'm some very touchy-feely person, but I'll try it out. I feel for you. That must be terrible. I can see how aggravating it is not to be promoted when you put so much work into it. Or if someone's frightened and needs emotional connection, the last thing they want, and this is very obvious, the last thing they want is for you to be frightened. So if I'm frightened and I want some empathy, I don't want your human sympathy. I don't want you to start resonating and get all scared. What I want is for you to say, yeah, that's so frightening. But you both know from, the, from your perspective, it isn't. I mean, the great thing about giving someone comfort when they're frightened is not to get frightened, but to somehow still share the, the fear from their perspective. It's quite tricky when you think about it, because you have to both be not frightened and, from their perspective, be frightened. I'm really worried about letting my children walk to school by themselves. Anything could happen to them if I'm not there. OK, so here's, here's a little quiz for the class. Two possible responses. Which one is the empathetic one? You're wrong to worry. The chances of their being snatched by a stranger are smaller than your chances of being run over by a bus. Yes, it's always really scary letting them out of your sight to begin with. You wouldn't be a normal parent if you didn't worry, but at some point you just have to let them go. So response one is the unempathetic response. It's very tempting just to say, you're wrong. You know, get a grip. Bad emotion, stop having it. The empathetic one is saying, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. But I don't, I mean, I don't agree with you. I still see where you're coming from. OK, now this might give one the feeling that all we're doing here is comforting talk and also, in, in a way, kind of faking it. Because if I say, yeah, yeah, I see where you're coming from, it does sound a little bit dishonest. It's as if I'm pretending to be with you when I'm really not with you. And I think there's a, there's a worry that maybe um, empathy has that kind of quality if we're not careful. Um, that it's just like a, it's a fake thing. It's, it's making people feel comforted by pretending to be with them, but really you feel differently. But I think that's a bit pessimistic. I think there's something better about empathy, and we can make a distinction between, as I put it here, imitating the expression of emotion, in a, if you like, just pretending to be there with them, and this imaginative projection which is where you actually feel something. You do feel with them. You have this fellow feeling, even though you're not feeling frightened or you're not feeling angry. You still feel something. It's still an emotional connection. But I do think it's got a lot to do with play acting and make-believe. I think we learn empathy when we're very young children, with our dolls and our teddy bears and our games. And these games of make-believe um, develop the skill of having one perspective, but also adopting another perspective from the point of view of that game. Um, and it's often, I mean, psychologists have done some work on this with the, with the thought that 
empathy is really developed by play. And empathy, in a way, is a kind of grown-up version of play. OK, so I want to talk a little bit about what it is to adopt an emotional perspective. And then I want to think about the, the ethical implications of this. Um, there's a, a phrase I use, which is that when you adopt another's perspective, you de-center yourself. But where you sympathize with them, you re-center yourself. So the thought there is that if you're being sympathetic towards me, you're moving towards me, you're getting your own perspective closer to mine. But if you're empathizing with me, you keep your perspective just where it is, and you just move, you, you leave it alone, and you take on my perspective just for the sake of the encounter. So you essentially have two centers. So with empathy, why it's actually quite challenging for some people is that you have to hold two emotional perspectives simultaneously, the perspective of the person that you're empathizing with and your own. Um, and people who suffer from certain kinds of anxiety are going to find that quite difficult because empathy can feel quite threatening. So here's Brené Brown. Um, I'm not going to show you her YouTube video. Uh, it's of a bear and a fox. Um, her thought is that as she puts it, empathy fuels connection and sympathy drives disconnection. Um, which is a very, I mean, it's a nice idea that empathy fuels connection, but thinking that sympathy drives disconnection, sympathy is a bad thing, seems to a lot of people very strange. Why does she say empathy fuels connection and sympathy drives disconnection? Well, the thought there is that empathy, um, if, you're, if you're having empathy with someone, you're adopting their perspective. So you're moving in with them into their emotional space. But you're not moving in forever. You're just, you're just there with them for the time being, for the point, for the purpose of that encounter. So they're feeling really bad. Um, they're feeling perhaps quite lonely in their badness. You're there with them. Sympathy, this human sympathy, you're holding on to your, you're trying to, you're, you've got your own perspective and you move your perspective towards them. But you've still got two different perspectives. So you're not really with them, but you're just like them. So if I have sympathy with you, I might, I might be quite like you, but I'm not really with you. And this is what Brené Brown thinks is, the, is, if you like, the failure of sympathy over empathy. And of course, sympathy is very prone to um, people um, if you like, faking it. I mean, you, you write on a letter with deeper sympathy when someone's um, relative has died. And we just do that without, without thinking about it. Now, I've got another character called Paul Bloom who um, argues the exact opposite. He says empathy is bad. Uh, it's even more clear now. And sympathy is good. In fact, he calls it rational compassion. So his, his line of thought is that empathy is a terrible thing ethically because if you have, for example, a, a judge who is trying to punish someone and they feel empathy for the criminal, they're going to make the wrong decision. They're going to start um, being nicer to people they should punish. Or if you've got someone who's responsible for um, perhaps in a job committee employing someone, um, you don't want them to be empathizing with anyone in the panel, any one of the candidates, because um, that's going to, if you like, bias their judgment. Okay, now, 
I think there's a, I think there's a confusion in this argument. I think what Paul Bloom is, is talking about isn't actually empathy. I think he's, he's worrying that people, if you like, have inappropriate emotional responses. But I'm not quite convinced that's empathy, and I'll try and explain that in a minute. The other thing he does, though, is he says, even with intimate relationships, the ones that Brene Brown is talking about, empathy isn't necessarily a good thing. So he's making the point that we make moral decisions where we shouldn't really be focusing so much on the emotional connection with somebody. But even when we're in a, in a relationship with someone, empathy isn't always good. Um, too much empathy is a bad thing. You lose track of your own perspective, you over-identify, you get distressed, you lose, you lose a sense of who you are in the relationship. So he, he gives us lots of evidence of doctors and uh, social workers who have burnout. They just can't cope with the, the job after a while because they've got too much empathy and they, they if you like, lose it, um, emotionally lose it. Now, my thought is that this isn't quite right. The judge who's swayed by their feelings for the criminal isn't really being a good empathizer at all. Because if you remember, being an empathizer, empathizing was holding onto your own um, perspective, emotional perspective, while adopting someone else's. So what this judge has failed to do is to hold on to their own emotional perspective in the process of empathizing with the criminal. Now, it's not an easy thing to do, but you could imagine a, a better judge um, would be able to empathize with a criminal. I mean, generally, perhaps they don't. But in theory, you could have a judge who says, yeah, it's really difficult. I can see you came from a deprived background, horrible situation. Um, difficult being you, but um, you've done something which deserves this punishment and you're getting it. Sorry. So that they could still have empathy without somehow being, being misled by it into doing the wrong thing. Perhaps the problem is too much sympathy as opposed to empathy. So if, if a judge or someone giving money to charity or any of these people moves their own perspective too quickly to the perspective of the person they're talking to, then that's a kind of weakness. You fail to hold on to your line. That's not empathy. That's just not keeping, grips, not keeping a grip on your own perspective in view of someone else's perspective that you're trying to adopt. So I, I'm not sure that Paul Bloom has really hit the target when he says his book's called Against Empathy and when he's criticizing empathy as such. Likewise with the doctor or the therapist who has burnout. What they have is they've lost the capacity to keep hold of their own perspective. Now, of course, that uh, goes with the territory. It's very, very difficult to be a good empathizer. So nobody's pretending empathy is easy. Um, if you're in one of these professions where you encounter a lot of distress, it's very hard not to be distressed. But at the, if you are distressed, that isn't empathy on this view. That's sympathy. And empathy would be if you can really feel what it's like to be the other person without actually having that as your own perspective. Now, Bloom talks about compassion, and he thinks compassion is good. I think compassion isn't quite the same thing as sympathy. So I think, in a way, we now have another category here. We've got at least three different things going on. This is a quotation from Bloom. Feelings of warmth, concern, and care for the other, as well as a strong motivation to improve the other's well-being. So that's, that's um, compassion, according to Bloom. And 
it's not sharing the other person's perspective, it's not adopting it for the sake of the encounter, but it's responding to it. Uh, it's responding to a need that's in, perhaps an emotional need in the other person. Um, so if you, um, sort of trigger warning, not a very nice example, but, but in that famous photograph a few months ago of the dead child washed up on the beach, everyone feels something very strongly, not everyone, but most of us feel something very strongly there. But it's not sympathy. We're not sympathizing with a dead child. How could we? It's not empathy either. We're not adopting the point of view of the dead child or even the child as they're dying. I don't think that's what's happening. I think it's compassion. I think what we're doing is we're responding emotionally to um, the distress and suffering, and also in this case, death of another human being. And compassion isn't the same as either empathy or sympathy. It's, it's something new. And it's clearly a very important motivation. Bloom has this in some ways kind of strange view that um, even compassion's bad if it's emotional. You should have rational compassion. So he thinks that you're misled by that image of the, of the small child on the beach into doing the wrong things. Compassion should be purely rational. You should be thinking about this from a perspective, if you like, completely outside of the emotions. Um, in a second, I'll consider whether that makes any sense. Okay, I'll I'll move it along a bit. Here's the next question. Why does being empathised with make you feel better? Well, there's someone there with you. I think the basic thing is it stops you being alone. Um, you don't have to fight to get recognition. So, for example, if, if you've got a, a disease with certain symptoms and the doctor's being empathetic with you, you, you no longer have to really insist on those symptoms. So there's some evidence that the symptoms are alleviated by the fact that you don't have to make them so visible anymore because the doctor's there with you. You don't have to have the pain anymore because you've got the empathy without it. And obviously you feel validated and honored. So people suffering from, for example, personality disorders, empathy of this sort really helps them, at least in the time being, because they get validated. They don't feel somehow excluded. There's someone there with them. Their emotions are acceptable. They must be acceptable because here's someone who's adopting my emotional perspective. It's okay to have this emotional perspective, but also there's an alternative. So the point here is that if, you, if the therapist has empathy, um, you get both things. You get the fact that they're there with you, but you also get this extra benefit of knowing that you don't have to be there. There's an alternative. Um, I think I'll just skip Daniel Batson. There's a, there's a philosophical view that you can um, explain altruism by empathy. And if anybody wants to talk about it, we might come back to that. But I'm a bit aware that I might end up um, running out of time. Um, so he thinks that you have to have empathy in order to um, treat other people um, selflessly. And it's an interesting point, and not one that I've fully, um, fully accept, to be honest. What I want to finish with, though, is a different idea that empathy can be significant in our ethical development and our moral growth. Um, the thought here is that the capacity to hold on to another point of view than your own while holding on to your own point of view enables you to make a comparison. So you have your way of thinking about things 
and you meet someone, well, let's take someone from a completely different culture, let's say a Iraqi refugee, in the, or Syrian refugee in this context. I don't, I'm looking around, I don't think I can see any. So we're, we're there with this person who's got a completely different perspective, um, and maybe a different religious, moral perspective. They think about things completely differently. And, and I've got my own perspective. And the capacity to think about things from their point of view, as well as holding on to my point of view, is a capacity to have two points of view in dialogue with one another. And if you don't have that, if you don't have empathy, you can't compare your point of view with anybody else's, because your point of view is the only one. So there has to be some capacity in, in the human spirit to think about other people's perspectives in order to, in your own case, develop your own moral thinking. Start thinking about the world. You know, have I got the right perspective? Am I right to think this? Am I right to think that, you know, people, homeless people on the street are lazy or something? I don't know what it might be. Um, go and talk to someone in that situation, completely different perspective, play them one against the other. You might end up changing your point of view, but you're not really going to change your point of view unless you follow the kind of Humean sympathy thing any other way. So essentially you've got two ways of changing. One is just to be moved by other people's emotions without having to, without really thinking about it. That would be Humean sympathy. And the other is empathy, where you adopt some other perspective and try it out. Try it out for the sake of the conversation. Have a dialogue between the two of them. And in the end, adapt your own with that in, in view. What this notion of empathy does give you is what some people, especially a philosopher that we're quite interested in at the moment, Iris Murdoch, calls moral imagination. By being able to imagine things, you're able to grow morally. That's essentially the truth. So it turns out that children play acting and so on is good for their moral spirit. And one last concept that um, especially philosophers are particularly interested in these days is that of vulnerability. So vulnerability you might think of as um, a reason for um, moral behavior. If someone's vulnerable, you should look after them. But there's this interesting idea that um, developed by people like Judith Butler and other people, which is that you, the moral agent, better be vulnerable too. So it's only by your own vulnerability that you have a moral outlook at all, one that's characteristically moral. And the thought there is that, that empathy is a form of vulnerability. So by adopting somebody else's perspective, emotional perspective, for the purpose of the encounter, you are vulnerable to it. And your own perspective is challenged. And sometimes that can be quite scary. So there's something worrying about putting your own perspective up against someone else's. Because after all, your own perspective is your identity. It's not just a way of thinking about things. It's your whole way of thinking about things. So you put that up against another perspective and make it vulnerable to that other person's perspective. You're putting yourself in a, in a very vulnerable position. And not everybody can handle that. Um, uh, for a lot of people, that's just too threatening. But the thought is that empathy leads to moral growth. Empathy leads to um, treating people better and helping people and stopping being lonely, people stopping being lonely. 
But at the same time, empathy is very difficult, can be very difficult, especially for some people who perhaps are a bit more anxious about their own, their own identities, because empathy is a form of vulnerability. Thank you very much. <laughs>